Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes, I fucked it up. How's it go? <laughs> Sometimes achieving outstanding oh, yeah, pairings. Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes giving ourselves... Fuck it. I, I don't want to do this. Uh, somebody else do okay. it. I saw you psych yourself up. I As know. you started, you like leaned to the side. Mm-hmm. You took a big, deep breath as mm-hmm. if to indicate that you were about to Sometimes fail. achieving about- outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunities to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. My name is Joe Hilliard. There you go. Dave Gurney, Carlos Cooper, and I always believed in you. I just want to say that I'm a theater guy. I know how to memorize lines, but there's something about that paragraph that just eludes my ability to get it correct. And then when I do, it's always a huge success. But when I fail, it's always feels like a huge, huge failure. Uh, I actually remember watching David write that for the first time at Ethan's house. Scribble it down quickly. And I was like, this is a long one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to capture the essence of no, what we're doing it's, on the it's as good uh, It's as good and concise a, a synopsis of what we do here okay, as you could ever possibly hope for. It's just that what we do here is so highbrow. And high it's malleable. Brow. You can change. I change <laughs> words. I change words. Joe says discuss. I, th- I think that's where it started. I say combine. Uh, that's usually combine. where I go. Mm-hmm. Well, but we are going to combine and discuss two great things, beer and movies. Hopefully right. they're both great Let's things. Let's dive in. So they're not well, always great things. They can be great. They well, can they're the be. greatest art forms known to humanity. Yeah. And you have a can in your hand right now. I do. From Backwoods Brewing Company. Uh, they're out of Carson, Washington. Their tap room's closed right now, if you're listening to this at the same time that we're recording. <laughs> but and they are still are. an open functioning they brewery. They're still an open functioning brewery. This is a candy bar stout. It is brewed with cacao nibs, peanuts, and vanilla. And the little paragraph, 7.2%, by the way, paragraph, it gives you a little write-up on the side of the can. says chocolate, caramel. Or caramel, depending on your preference. Nougat, peanuts. Mm. We know what this. We know what this is without. Okay, we know what this is without parentheses legally having to say it right. Yeah. <laughs> Grab yourself one of these king size oatmeal stouts mm. and experience all of these flavors perfectly balanced in a beer. Question. If you share it with a friend, is it technically fun size? A question that we will have to answer at the end. That will, I think we're going to have fun. I think we're going to have fun. For that talking so. point. Um, I've never heard of such a combination of flavors before in my life. So I don't yeah, really I know, know what, what they're what, getting What at. bar are they going after there? I don't know. Is it a Wonka bar? A, I would the, say it's a Milky Way, no? <laughs> immediately of the nougat bars. Oh, no. it's the, We're... We're being obtuse. This yeah. is Snickers, no, right? Okay. This is the peanuts, the nougat, the caramel, the, Hold on. The uh, let's go back to Wonka bars, though. Are you a Wonka bar fan? I'm not a fan. I just w- came up with like a film. But bar you don't like reference. the you don't like the one. Oh, oh. oh, they're fine. I mean, right? It's just a straight up chocolate bar. No, it's like, no. no what do they put in, in there? What I do don't they put remember. In it? It's been a while almonds. since I've had one. No, God, almonds no. and raisins. Okay, you got me. No, I'm good. Oh my God, David, you <laughs> monster! <laughs> almonds and raisins. I can't think off the top of my head of a candy bar with raisins in it. Um, I know there are some. That I feel like. My mom had this brand of candy bar that were like, maybe it was Cadbury or something that did them. It was like, maybe a British, but the British would do that, right? They would put raisins into chocolate. Yeah. That makes no it sense. It consists of bits of toffee, cookie, and peanuts in milk chocolate. That sounds like a good combo. It's I, great. Maybe I've never had one. I mean, I, I know it from the film, and I've certainly seen them on the shelf. And I've had other Wonka branded candy, I know, right? Are Chocolate caramel nerds nerds Wonka, peanuts, are of course, they? are talking stickers. No, but the Everlasting Gobstoppers you could buy. Okay, I've, I think I've had those, yeah. Uh, they weren't shaped the same as they were in the movies. No, but, they weren't. Okay. No, they weren't. Mm. They were just spheres. But there's also apparently a drug called a Wonka bar. I'm not going to 
get yeah, into what pro- it is. Yeah, probably don't want to do up. that. But because yeah. this is not psychedelics in a movie, this is not, not uppers and downers in a movie. <laughs> yeah, who knows? This is not controlled substances in a movie. No, well, we movie. are handling a controlled substance this week. I guess a lightly folks. Uh, you know, we should put. A, I mean, I don't want to joke about it, but we should maybe put a disclaimer on this episode. This episode may trigger some people in some pretty significant ways. Okay. Um, whenever you bring TC into the equation, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you. It's a volatile substance. You know, a controlled substance. It's one yeah. that man has it lit up the box office year after year after year. The human version of high-grade plutonium. Something like that, yeah, right? Like, if we knew that some nefarious mm. actors had a TC chamber uh, hidden out in the mountains somewhere, yeah, we need to go bomb the shit out of I that. I mean, we know... As quickly as possible. We know that Tom Cruise maintains his youthful exuberance by injecting himself with his own aged blood from years That past. he's been holding on to in his vault for... Were another actor to gain access... To Tom Cruise's reserve Oof. of uh, this this of elixir, young Cruise blood, yeah. This, this elixir. We make we... jokes, but I'm really trying to figure out in my mind immediately right now who is the star that you know came up in that time in the '80s when stardom really, really mattered. He has no Stallone. He has no peer. He has no Bruce peer. Willis. He does I mean, now, but not in terms of longevity. Who? Okay, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like there's nobody who's he's like the last remaining long one. As he has. Yeah. yeah, he he definitely has the most longevity. But in terms of what they do and how they do it, I think uh, Brad Pitt. No, The Rock. I mean, okay, look, interesting, look, if you, if interesting. You, if, if you look at them as figures, but like, I, but The Rock, hmm, I don't, I don't think know. Brad okay, Pitt we're getting we're getting in the weeds here, folks, and I haven't even done a synopsis we of the film. We're actually you know what we're talking about. We I, I got said what we're talking, folks. About. Okay, Tom Cruise, volatile substance, um, has finally, you know, slipped into the form of Maverick again, the character that he made famous in the. Uh, 80s film, 1987? Some, around. 86, 87. 87. Um, film Top Gun, uh, directed then by Tony Scott, bro- brother of Ridley Scott. Have we ever done a Tony Scott film? Joe will look into I, that. I don't believe we have. <laughs> I don't think we have either. Um, but it, but a classic in its time, uh, something that was huge, and, and I think we should definitely get there at some point. And 1986. Talk about, okay. How important the cultural moment of this film was, and I'm, and I'm going to be curious to see if Carlos can understand what what uh, Joe and I might have experienced at the time because this was one of those huge it was like cultural phenomenon film I knew knew it was coming where everything you see uh, you know and for me as an Mm eight-year-old is totally like Top Gun this Top Gun that Top fighter jets everywhere like posters at the school book fair you know everything that you saw anyhow Phantom Menace but yeah now over 30 years the soundtrack yeah one after the other after the other Uh, Now, over 30 years later, we're getting a sequel, bringing back this character back to that same elite flight school that um, the first film chronicled him going through as kind of a pupil, um, trying to be ranked at the top of his class, that that being the real kind of uh, conflict there. But his relationship with his partner, Goose, um, Mm -hmm. who he flies with, played by Anthony Edwards in the original. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you have this relationship with Kelly McGillis playing this... uh, uh, she's like a consultant slash co- instructor One within of the, the academy, yeah. right? Um, and uh, and then his is Jennifer you know, Conley in the original? No, no. His okay. well, t- yeah. We'll I have think to talk that about. her name is referenced in the original. 
Okay. I read the a name review. of the character. The name of the okay, character, but not like they don't say, "Oh, we were going to have Jennifer Conley play." No, you. no, no, no. But, but, <laughs> that would have been a meta moment. Penny, I would love that. Penny, her character's yeah. name is referenced. I'll okay. look that up while we continue talking. Interesting. I hadn't. I, I mean, we need to research that. every hey, Jamie, single. Hey, could you pull angle. that up? <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry so, for making. So we've returned, uh, but it's thirty years later. There's that age on him, although seemingly shows very little and and he's still flying right where, where we pick up the story is he is now a test pilot of sorts p- flying these uh kind of newer uh jets for the navy testing them out before they're deployed and super battle. high speed super high speed like when we catch up at the beginning he's pursuing mach 10 he's pursuing being able to withstand mach 10 uh, while flying and and have the craft withstand that as well. Yeah. So, uh, but quickly gets drawn into the school. A new crop of students there that he's trying to coach on this new mission that's going to send them uh, off into dangerous enemy territory where they're going to bomb out this this little spot that really needs to be hit perfectly. We have a a lot of talk about missiles making it into their chamber um, and just the right way. Uh, it's beautiful, guys. Right. <laughs> So, it's it's many elements of the original, the same school, the same character, um, but, you know, more advanced in age, but still as willfully disobedient towards all authority figures, because he knows better, he's a folks. He knows better. Well, he knows better. He's he's not just a maverick. He's hyper-intelligent maverick yeah. who, who can always see there is a way to get this done, but it is the most daredevilly way that we could possibly do it, but it has to be done that way. Yeah, and just a, a quick, I feel like, clarification is that it's not the Top Gun school. It's like they take the everybody that graduated top of their class. Well, this this group, right? Yeah. This is, they've, they've Which, gathered some... There should be a much bigger age difference between them, all of them, if that's the case, because... Because they have graduated, like, subs, years... If they're all top to of their other. class, then that yeah, they could not have all, all like, been in the same They're all supposed class. to be, like, 21 to 25. That's not that different. I guess age. it depends on how many classes they have. Although either. he was four years back. They keep talking about how he Miles was delayed Teller, four Brewster, years yeah. in his career, so he's probably in his mid-20s, at least, or supposed to be. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, a lot of interesting things about this movie. Very little is ever explained. Don't need it. About what? See, uh, this is, you never watched uh, the first one, right? Well, so here's the, here, okay, so, so we'll get to, okay, let's, let's tackle that first, all right? Since it's going to come up again, let's just get that out sure. of the way. I, re, I almost watched the first one before seeing this film, and then I was like, you know what? They're going to bring up my age anyway. They're going to bring up the fact that, like, I wasn't there in the, let me just lean into okay. the fact okay. that I wasn't alive when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. I never saw the movie, mm-hmm. and let me go into it as the only person in the group that even has the opportunity to see this movie without having seen the first one. Right. And cause you know, a big part of this movie is how long it has been since the first one came out. Right. And right. like you saw spoiler alerts, folks, David and I were in the same uh, theater. I was sitting right behind him. It was a magnificent experience. For that's, me. A, that's a spoiler. Um, okay. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> uh, uh, it no, was going to come up sooner or later. It was, yeah. um, but you saw, just as I did, there were a lot of like teenagers in the, that theater. Oh, sure. I mean, there was yeah, a lot yeah, of like yeah. kids that very, definitely... Very family audience kind of, yeah. 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 I took a group De- of seven from 16 to 67. Yeah, so there you go. Exactly. The 60-year-olds in our group were the most eager to see this again. Sure. We talked about the Legacy sequel a lot during the screen when we talked about the 2022 Scream a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. 
I walked out, we all had this conversation that, I mean, as far as legacy sequel goes, the idea that we're going to introduce new characters, which we haven't really even discussed, but the new younger crew and then the, you know, uh, Tom Cruise, the, the older Iceman, yeah. uh, the, the mixture there trying to please everybody, they, they, they pulled that off really, really well. I think the box office is a, the largest indication that that's the case. Well, that's, that's also up for debate, I feel. But, um, but going into this, one thing that, as the movie progressed that I realized is that I didn't need to see the first one to understand the good, plot of this film. Good, good. I did, however, need to see it to care about it in a significant way. Um, Cause like, I know that goose dies in the film mm-hmm. because it's referenced in meet the parents. Yeah. yeah. You know the scene I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause Owen Wilson's character and the actress whose name I'm forgetting that plays Ben Stiller's love interest. Right. I can't. Um, they have, they give, they have a top gun thing that they do with each other where they call e- each other by the nicknames or whatever, mm-hmm. Iceman and you know, whatever. Uh, and then Ben Stiller gets a little jealous and is like, well, well, can I be goose or whatever? She's like, no, goose dies in the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I knew that already. I knew enough about it just from like having absorbed as much pop right. culture as I have over the years. Um, but I didn't really care that much about it, mm. you know, because of that. And it's not I that I didn't care. I don't know not, if I care about these characters. Well, and, and that's what I was about to say is it's not that I necessarily, that I don't think that not caring hindered my enjoyment of the film, but I could tell that there were people in the theater that cared a lot. Like yeah, the guy, sure. like the guy that was wearing the back-to-back World War II champs shirt cared a lot about these there, characters. There were people I didn't see that. There were one. folks he was at our right next to you. Oh, I just that, didn't look at his shirt. We live in a naval training town. Yeah. yeah. And there were plenty of people, plenty 10 people there scattered around, not in a group, wearing their flight That's how they wearing do their they, flight they jackets. They embed themselves. There, there were people in costume and flight suits at ours. Oh, uh, awesome. yeah. That but 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 I'm arriving at a point that uh, I don't think that there wasn't stuff. I don't think that there was stuff that I missed because I didn't see the first one. Like mm-hmm. there's plenty of flashbacks and they do everything to, you know, whatever. But what I meant when not explaining things is like, they don't really give a shit about explaining what Tom Cruise is doing in the beginning of the film. Like, why is that important? What is the objective of the thing he's in? Well, he's still, okay. The, the, I think that opening is like, he is still at the top of his game. He's able to do things that nobody else does. And it's establishing that Maverick is still the same guy 30 years later, pushing the boundaries of what these jets are supposed to be able to do. That's a big part of the first film is that, you know, like it defines his character. He's constantly doing things that the upper brass tell him, you can't do that with our planes. You know, yeah. you're going to destroy our planes. And he's just like, but that's watch not- me go, guys. <laughs> but, that's, but, that, but that's not even what's happening there is because they're trying to specifically design a plane that can do these things. He's just the one flying. Well, they are, there. but they're about to shut down the program. Ed Harris... He- love seeing a, a nice little sprinkle of Ed Harris. Like you just get a, yeah. like a chef's, you know, like little pinch of salt right on top of it where it's like, Ooh, give me some of that nice salty Ed Harris yeah. right at the beginning. And he's good at being salty. It, mm-hmm. it, it's like a little um, amuse bouche before we get into <laughs> and the then, full buffet. Yeah. And then, and then this, is, Maverick. this is something that I did like about it, but the fact that they never really went out of their way to say which rogue nation was. Yeah. Oh no. That, I mean, that, that's which, perfect. Which that, I like that. that. Fits, I like that yeah, about yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. it's all, but, and then like, I don't know, just, they want to, like the top brass are so insistent on a drone program 
but they're still using people for this. And they say, because it can only be done with pilots. But why can it only be done with pilots? If you send a drone, <laughs> then... No, they never really you know, explain well, that. Well, that's what well, I'm the, saying. Is, but is the that characters involved, important. the pilots are going to feel very strongly that pilots cannot be. I mean, right. I think that that's actually a pretty that, appropriate that sense, conversation. Right. Yeah, yeah. But in the... In the case, so remember in the real original Top Gun, uh, David, when he was told you do not do flybys by the uh, air control, <laughs> but but <laughs> Maverick fucking did because yeah. Maverick does what Maverick wants to do. Well, it's that attitude that has kept him at the rank of captain in the right, what, 30, right. 40 year forty right. years since uh, since the original came out. Always, uh, Iceman number one at Top Gun has gone on to become an admirable, right. an admiral, admiral yeah. and and as admiral. A very ice, powerful one ice can pulling the get Maverick out of those situations that Maverick's going to get himself into with a phone call. Well, Ice is, you know, ill. Uh, I guess referencing the exact same disease, uh, the cancer of the throat that Val Kilmer has. Yeah. They lean into that here. You do see Ice. You do see him well, using a computer to speak the way that probably Val Kilmer has to. Yeah, yeah, because, you, I mean... People would have fucking rioted in this theater if Val Kilmer wasn't in this movie. That's the you legacy I mean? sequel thing. You want to see you those characters to, again. You have to have him in there. And yeah. like a guy who's done as much as he has mm-hmm. and has had the career that he's had, it's I I feel like even having not seen the first one, that it's only right to have. It's him a in tip there, of the hat you know? to Val Kilmer. And, well, so, it is, and so it's it's certainly. great that they that they did that and that they just were like, well, we're just gonna. Right, what's actually happening to this yeah. guy? Like it's and it, there's and it becomes there's precedent a, for it that. becomes a beautiful, genuine moment between it Tom does. Cruise and Val Kilmer when they actually do come together. That embrace. I mean, like there's some real uh, emotional. Now that is one where like, and that's not even about the characters as much as it is about me knowing the stories of these actors mm-hmm. and their parallel careers and how Val Kilmer obviously has not had the same kind of longevity of mm-hmm. success that Cruise has. He'll always have real genius, David. And he'll always, always have Batman have forever. Real Top Secret. I mean, like, believe me, Val, Willow, Val Kilmer Batman has lots that he can... forever, <laughs> folks. He, he has lots that he can hang his hat on. Tombstone. I mean, we've we've done some of these films. I, I am not at all, um, you know, th- saying that he didn't have something of a career, but it, it definitely took uh, a, a lower pathway than... Cruises, right? Yeah. Cruise where which, which I mean, I guess everybody's did. If what we said at the top of this episode is true, that it he has, has to appear. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? I mean, think about it. The, the couple of actors who who could have come back, who they don't. Well, I mean, one couldn't have really unless we had done like an extended flashback thing mm-hmm. or the something. Character. The Goose character, right? Anthony Edwards. So that kind of makes sense. And I think it was probably the right call not to try to write something like that that would have would have been allowed them yeah. to do that. Yeah, I, th- I think. It so he, that. there is, but a, Meg Ryan. Where they yeah. they explain her they not explain being there, her away. but it, I she? thought it was an interesting choice. Uh, she was the Goose's wife of Goose, wa- uh, uh, Miles Teller's mother, right? Okay. Who who they mentioned briefly had died, like, and that was the uh. promise that he had made to that character oh, that yeah, he wouldn't yeah, yeah, let yeah, him go yeah, to the yeah, flight yeah, school, yeah. and yeah. So there is a mission, and it is so difficult that they need to bring the only man back to the Top Gun training program. Who can train along with like Carlos said, not even just a new crop of students, but the best, the best students of right. the past few years and to buy it. for a position on the mission. And you, I mean, the the it's a perfectly cut trailer, really, because you see it in the you see Phoenix say, "If we're all the best, who's who are they going to get to teach us?" You know, like mm-hmm. and so it's that kind of thing. Uh, but my, but they don't they don't bring him back. 
Iceman brings him back. One right. singular force makes it happen. Right. John Hamm is so twisted about this. John Hamm is, is the CEO of that Top Gun well, so, program. I mean, come on, Hamm has been. I, and what was his call? Like cy- Cyclone or something? Cyclone. Um, I mean, he has done everything by the book in his career. You can tell he has walked the line for the Navy year after year, doing exactly what's asked of him. Not a not an inch off the margin. Not an inch on the either yeah. side. Um, and here he is staring down this guy who's somehow been able to float along in the Navy, even though he has repeatedly shown disobedience in the face of authority. Come on. That yeah. was like a... It, now, eventually, he comes around to him. Isn't that some lovely well, character because, development because, there? Okay, oh. so he's going to train these 12 young pilots, including Miles Teller, who has a grudge against him for not only... For both being, being involved with his dad's death and... Uh, keeping him out of the academy. Keeping him out of the academy yeah. because he quote unquote wasn't ready, which is probably more papers. about right, probably Pulled more about papers. fear of not wanting to see him die. Yeah. Him die the way that he watched Goose die. Um, so the the bulk of the film is this training, you know. Um, then of course the mission. Now, how do you get John ha- John Ham back on your side, the CEO, the CEO of that? Well, you have to demonstrate by stealing an airplane to do so. <laughs> uh, an F. What were they fl- flying? F eighteen, and then they, yeah, um, that it can be done. Yeah, when all of these Top Gun students couldn't do it. Right, right. And does Tom Cruise do it? Uh, a simulation. Yeah. Fucking a, he does. <laughs> and that's, shorter than even he was supposed to. Right. right. He did it fifteen seconds faster than they're going to put in, in in on the mission. Yeah. Then you see the mission. The mission doesn't go according exactly to plan. Oh, close, oh, I'm though. sorry. Then Tom Cruise gets put as the lead pilot in the mission. Team leader, yeah. He chooses Goose's son to go along as his wingman on the mission. Mm-hmm. Much of the chagrin of Hangman, the Val Kilmer mirror character, yeah. all balls, all bravado, all all swagger. Mm-hmm. He's back on the flight deck. Uh, Glenn just Powell. To, put yeah. some respect on his name. I didn't know his name. A master of yeah. his craft. I didn't know him from other stuff. Are, are you serious? You I'm know? serious. I fucking what love is he? Glenn what Powell. else is he in that? Uh, he is transcendent in the show Scream Queens. Oh, I didn't watch Scream Queens. Okay, oh, for, that right. first season of Scream Queens is some of the best genre television that was. Well, ever that's made. exciting. I'm glad. I mean, I thought he did a good job in he's this. Really I, good in it. But I had no idea who he was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a big Glenn Powell. My fa- one of my favorite parts of this movie, which I. I enjoyed. I enjoyed. It was, uh, the whole family was there. The whole family enjoyed it. Uh, we'll get into some of that. Uh, the, my favorite part, one of my favorite parts, was when the mission occurs. Then there is a goose. I'm sorry. Um, what was uh, the son? Uh, rooster. My, Bruce, rooster. Rooster and rooster. Maverick down behind enemy lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the only way that they can get out is that there is an old... F-14, I think. Correct. That was the plane from the original Top Gun. Mm -hmm. Right. And the two of them have got to steal it and then, you know, get out with all of the dogfights that you can imagine. That, I think, it was, there was a lot, there was a lot of fun in this movie. This movie was a lot of fun. I mean, it's a, it's an expectation, it's an exercise in expectation fulfillment, right? It, like, it doesn't do anything daring. It doesn't do anything bold. It does everything that you, like, I like if you didn't see Hangman coming to save the day from a mile Oh, away, I did. I, I mean, whispered. Like, yeah, oh, was, of course it was Here happen. comes Hangman. Yeah. Uh but it was cool when it happened. Sure. You know, it was fine. <laughs> how it happened, you know, how yeah, they pulled it you off. You know, um you knew that going into the mission 
Rooster was going to fly too slow and he was going to lag behind and he was going to have to push himself to that. He's going to have a moment of epiphany yeah. where you, I can do you it. You knew as soon as Maverick went down that Rooster was going to turn around. I mean, that's, what, that's essentially I mean, what happened yeah. to Maverick in the first film. That You're seeing echoes of a lot of the same beats that you had in the first story. It's like The Force Awakens where it's like, oh, that movie is just a new hope, but recast. Except, you know, the, with the big difference being that in the first film, it's about the kind of tragic dissolution of the couple, the Goose and Maverick, like they, due to Goose dying, right? I mean, like they, they lose their bond, they're no longer, and so then it's the despondent Maverick trying to find within himself the ability to achieve these heights of uh, success that uh, he was only, he thought he'd only been able to with Goose, you know what I mean, finding it himself. Here instead, you see him bonding with the younger, yeah. you know, rooster and them creating this bond that eventually saves them both and is able to get them through the mission and, and, and all that. So, th- so there's kind of a, a, an interesting mirror thing, but very similar, very similar yeah. kind of story. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched the original Top Gun with the, the family that went absent some of the kids that were at college and was struck. It's the first time I've seen it in a long time. Top Gun came out when I was 14. And of course, Carlos, we're going to bring up the idea that this level of sequel and the anticipation for it and the COVID pushback, this thing was supposed to come out two years ago, right? Mm. Push it back, push it back, theaters open, theaters closed, push it back, push it back. It was just, I mean, marketing-wise, COVID helped this movie. People were so anticipating it being here and then being told it couldn't, you know, they couldn't see it. Now, finally, here it is. Tom Cruise's whirlwind PR thing about this film um, only helped, you know, of course, set this up for a huge box office this first weekend that it, that it came out. Um, watching that original Top Gun again for the first time, maybe in 20 years, how manufactured a blockbuster it was for 1984. I mean, now, so certainly with, you know, history yeah. on the knowledge of everything, the score, the Kenny Loggins, the... Uh, Let's give Take my let's away. give the sex yeah, scenes that we can for a I think was it PG thirteen is that yeah okay and let's give the man uh, the the naked the shirtless man buffet that is that volleyball scene let's here we get a football give scene everyone an a little one, bit of eroticism well, in that it parallels perfectly the volleyball scene yeah but how yeah. do you play offense and defense at the same time the oh, football it's so I stupid <laughs> hey it's, it's, flying a jet's not easy Carlos it so, is I mean, an excuse for male bodies to be like and female bodies on top of there are a couple yeah, of female pilots female bodies, we bodies, mention, which are more one, which are more clad than the male bodies yes yes yes, yes. yes. but sexy nonetheless oh sure sure she's <laughs> attractive yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean everyone in this movie is attractive that's like the whole fucking point of like a action blockbuster movie right like right you know hot well there was that cool one things. old guy who worked at the bar and i was like why are you putting kinda this hot. piece of trash <laughs> kind of hot okay we you had mentioned earlier was jennifer conley in the first she wasn't they, yeah. they didn't bring back kelly mcgillis they decided to i guess x that out and not even deal with what what might have happened there but instead bring this relationship with this other um, woman who runs the bar uh, by the base that, uh, you know, they all frequent when, when they're off, you know, th- their training. Um, half deck. Half deck. There you go. Um, and she uh, is played by Jennifer Conley here, Penny. And I love Jennifer Conley. I, I mean, too, yeah. here's the thing, like. I feel like I haven't seen her in anything in a little while, so it was actually like really. I didn't realize she was in it. I don't know why I hadn't read enough to know that she wasn't in it. But it was like a beautiful like cherry on this confection. You got the Ed Harris amuse bouche, right? Mm -hmm. And then the nice like 
post make... post uh, dinner tiramisu that is. Uh, <laughs> but like the original <laughs> Top Gun, the choice of shots that they use to highlight the sexuality of the car and the girl in standing in a place they wouldn't be standing and standing in a way that they wouldn't be standing. But the little girl at the very end, the little girl comes in, her daughter, uh-huh. Jennifer Connelly's daughter comes in, Tom Cruise sees her. He and Rooster are now buds fixing up their old timey plane together. Right. Yeah. Um, and the little girl there means the mom is there, but the mom didn't come in with a little girl. She's cocked up on the side of the super cool convertible so that <laughs> we get a shot of the sexy woman on the sexy car. Yeah, yeah. That kind of manufacturing is A, on the nose, but B, I think really satisfies a specific type of audience. It's what the oh, people yeah. that went to see this movie wanted to see. Well, yeah. and that's, that's what I would say is like th- this film, it goes beyond just movies. I mean, this is a movie for sure, right? And movies are back, folks, right? People are going to the movies again. This is w- one of those moments. I mean, we're gonna, we've had a few already. Spider-Man was a big one. But, you know, like this is going to be another one that gets touted as, you know, like, Biggest box office ever for an opening Tom Cruise film. Biggest blah, blah, blah. You know. So, I mean, it's a big moment that way. But it's more than a movie because the first one really did have that kind of like cultural pervasiveness that turned it into this other thing that has, in a way, that has only grown and appreciated in value over the years. Because anybody who gets sucked into... um, anything about action films or the military or whatever, like this is going to be something that comes up. Now I'll, I'll offer like, you know, this film is way more problematic for me than Top Gun was when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, I didn't think at all about what does this do? How is this kind of military propaganda? How is this kind of, you know, like that stuff didn't dawn on me when I was eight years old. In fact, I was probably the perfect target audience where it should have taken hold well and then, and many of my generation, it did. I'm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, oh, I want to be a fighter pilot. Forrest Gump was the propaganda film yeah. for my, my age. Right, right. But yeah, you're rooting for imperialism in this movie. Sure. And you're rooting for big military and spending huge money on these planes and, yeah. and doing this stuff and like the value of it. And like, because we train these elite fighters who do this kind of work, you know. And showing examples of why it's required. Yeah, right, without going too deeply into the reasons motivating mm-hmm. it, right? Like we say, it's an unnamed uh, rogue nation sure. that, that's doing They spent this a thing. lot of money in crashing a jet or two, yeah. and uh, were there deaths? I don't think there were. No. Okay, we there didn't were end casualties. Up with a death, but there were there two, were, well, there were two who ejected. Well, the Rogue the, Nation. The Rogue Nation. Of, uh, but they're uh, so anonymous. They're totally covered yeah, faces. Right. They, and you don't, they don't, might as well be drones. Yeah, at that we don't point. care if they yeah. die. Uh, that's, uh, those are <laughs> we're the. We're not uh, supposed to. They, they, again, again, more of the problematic stuff. I, th- those are the non Darth Vader TIE fighter pilots. Right. The same right. exact outfit. Exactly. The Darth Vader, of course, got to wear his. You know, original gear in his. Yeah, what? You don't tell Darth Vader to change up. I wouldn't tell Darth Vader to do anything. Um, you know how that goes. He pinches the air and you die. Um, I, though, didn't, having watched the original and this one, I found this one to be more palatable about what you're talking about, David, because I feel like the human relationships were more important in this one. I, w- I won't disagree, and they they're building on what they had already established and adding new layers to it with the younger group and their and their relationships. I I get that. None of that is like you know when it comes to like the bonds between people, even these sort of like very loving relationships between men and, and women. They bring in some more female uh, fighter pilots this time, as you've as mm-hmm. we've already mentioned. Again, so, I'm pretty sure it's just one. <laughs> 
I think there's two because there's two on the beach playing the football but game. That I is think one sure? doesn't. It's not just Phoenix. Yeah, maybe uh, I don't know. I I but there's definitely two on the beach because I remember seeing like oh two sports bras next to each other mm-hmm. in that shot. Yeah, Interesting. That. Yeah. Um. Because I thought it was only one female student at the academy. Yeah. So the I, other one doesn't get a speaking. Doesn't have I, a do, speaking I don't bar. think so. Well, there's there's twelve of them, and I think there are probably three to four that don't ever really get a line so you know to, yeah. to, to speak of there bob is one of the one you know along with I liked uh, phoenix bob a lot. oh yeah the, the, i mean i thought a lot but of fanboy and payback don't get a lot of dialogue they don't but they're good and they get they get at least referenced directly by their call names there yeah. a couple times um you know the, i thought there were some good i like jay ellis showing up he's uh, i don't know if y'all watched um oh shoot the uh um isa right um Insecure. Thank you. Yes, insecure. She I did she not, played his main, the main love interest for her through most of it. Kylie did. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, he, he and it was cool to see him show up. But he gets a few lines, and you yeah. feel like maybe that character would get picked up in the future if they keep. It's interesting. This did it feel to you guys like there's? Pro, I think there's a future to this franchise. I mean, look at the money it's making. Yes. Yeah. I think. I think we're going to see something like a series or yeah. something. Yeah, and I don't know if Tom, Tom Cruise pops in for five seconds, I mean, but you it's have Miles Top Teller's Gun story. Maverick, this is like the extension of the Maverick story. I think, are we going to get like Top Gun Phoenix? And mm-hmm. it's going to be like a story of Phoenix on a mission and her yeah. having to pull together. I mean, I could see. And then does it go the way of Fast and the Furious where the jet stuff is, you know, has to become more, more and more, more outrageous. I mean, yeah. they're already pretty improbable to begin with, but you're right. I feel like you have to up the ante whenever you do this sort of stuff. They did certainly with this film compared to the first. Uh, technologically, like the special yeah. effects, the, the, the bigger jets that can perform more stunts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that while this movie is, you know, sugar, basically. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah not I mean, really it's any, high fructose corn syrup. It, no, it is definitely the, I mean, this is the worst for you kind of junk food movie that you can yeah. possibly consume. Don't no, watch this all the time, folks. <laughs> sparingly. No, take a little sparingly. bit. Eat a, eat a few vegetables. Yeah, there's no nutritional value to this movie at all. The fighter jet sequences make it worth it. Oh, they're, they're really they're fucking amazing. cool. The they're sound really design cool. is like Aaron. <laughs> Aaron actually complained when it came out, even before the film started, and it was just the Tom Cruise intro where he's like, "Thank you so much for being back at the movies." With oh, y'all were at Alamo. Very, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it, she's like, "Wow, it got really loud." Like, the, you know, the volume <laughs> just jumped up, and uh, and it kind of stayed there. <laughs> it was yeah, a pretty. It was, loud. Oh, the IMAX was was loud, yeah. but no one was. I don't think was complaining. No, yeah, I mean the it, fighter jet sequences are cool. Yeah. The sound design in them is great. The like way way they decided or the way they position the camera, where you can you can see, but you but also because of how tight the shots are, kind of feel when they're going like on their side and like stuff yeah. like that. You know, yeah. it's like it's a very visceral kind of action that isn't purely CGI that I appreciate a lot. Yeah. And so that, for me, walking out of it, Kylie was like, other than the fact that I was like mortified by some of the audience members and how like, you know, hoorah, go America they were, um, they, it was still like, it was still a fun movie going experience. While I watched this at home, God, no, it wouldn't have like no. even a fraction of the impact right. that it right. had seeing it in the theater. But 
was it cool? Yes. I think that like the for the legacy sequel aspect of it, I don't know. It, it's fun, but I don't know if this movie will have the cultural impact that the original Top Gun did when God. we're looking back at it 20, 30 Well, years it's impossible. You can't First replicate foremost, it. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a ripple of that and original. My, and my it's, problem, it can't be a new... My problem with the what I believe to be inevitable sequels, because everyone in the car on the way home said the same thing. Now we're going to pick up. Well, there the theory we had was that we pick up with Miles Teller. You know, uh, sure. I think as he goes, I expect Rooster will be a part of whatever Uh this franchise becomes going forward. Right, but is that? And you put it into Marvel territory. Well, well, this made this made so much money. Well, we're going to spit one out every two to three years. Top Gun, Rooster, Top Gun, Hangman. You know. And they become less special in as much as I do think this is a sugar, high fructose movie, yeah. that it is it is special in that there are now two and we are revisiting this thing that not only enthralled the hearts of 1986, but generations have been raised on this because of how much your parents or grandparents loved it. Yeah. If you start spitting them out every once in a while, then now we're getting to a thing where it's like, they're not special. They're, well, it's the same story as... over and over and over. Because this is very much the same story as the first film right. with a couple of little twists that are different. For as crazy and nefarious as Tom Cruise is, and, and we really haven't addressed that sort of stuff. We did um, it at the beginning. A little, a little bit. bit. We kind of hinted at it, I feel like, more, more than addressed it head on. Um, the, the guy <coughs> understands the movie business as well as any actor does. And that's, I think, a large part of his longevity. Obviously, he has this weird youthful thing that he can maintain a youthful image w- well into his getting close to 60 at this point. Yeah. Um, Physique, all of it. Yeah, so I mean that—that's part of it. But another well, part he doesn't is, do anything else, right? The this other is part is job. picking the projects and producing those. Pro- I mean, he's been you know sort of behind the scenes pulling the strings for a long, long time too with other people. Um, that you know he's going to. I think as long as he's involved with this franchise, he's going to be aware of that kind of thing that Joe you're talking about. Like if if they do overkill with this, if they go into a cycle of like the what Disney is doing with Star Wars, yeah, okay, this may not last that much longer. But if you wait the right amount of time and you allow for enough years to have passed for a new kind of central conflict to develop, and I don't know what that is here with Rooster and, you know, how that sort of evolves. Is there another generation that comes in behind him? Then I I feel like that's the kind of franchise development you're going to see here more likely than the, you know, just pumping out as many as you can, one after the other. Man, if they... If they give the keys to Miles Teller, I mean, it's going to fall on its face. I can't think of a less likable on-screen presence. Although he was the perfect actor and the mustache was was a perfect decision to play Goose's son. He resembled him many times. Like, God, they they did a really, really good job. But, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, sometimes you'll see an actor cast. He has a a lack of charisma. You'll see an actor cat. He's a black hole of charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you, you didn't get into his great balls of fire. Uh, I hated. That. <laughs> I hated every second. And that's of a it. check mark. That's a check mark to pay homage to the original. Yes, but who in 2022 gives a flying fuck about Jerry Lee Lewis or great balls? Oh, of fire? Oh, you obviously do not go out much because every time I'm in a bar with millennials, it's like somebody's got to start somebody's got the piano, banging on, banging those, on the keys. Does this banging piano on the work? Bones dun, 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 dun. The ivories, tickling it's those like, ivories, <laughs> folks. Great balls! Bang! Great balls! Uh, <laughs> those check boxes, dude. Uh, the Harold Faltermeyer score at the very beginning, the opening yeah, title card, yeah. check, check. Oh, Danger Zone at the beginning, check. Uh, yeah, the montage yeah, yeah, yeah. of 
of taking off and landing on the uh, air, air, uh, aircraft carrier. Check. It, it was kind of a fun game to play. Bingo. I guess. Mm. But... but uh, You can't even play it, Carlos. You didn't see the first one. Well, no, but playing that kind of bingo isn't interesting in general. It's a bingo you know? where we all lose. Uh, None of us win. Well, it's just... It's just oh, oh, boring. Oh. Uh, why is it? Why no? Doing the no, fun. no, Joe. Why <laughs> is it? Why is it? Let's let's fight. Why? That's, oh, that's okay. what you say to me all the time. Uh, why is it interesting to be shown something you've already seen before? <laughs> it's giving the audience exactly what they wanted for yeah. this experience. I think especially that's when you've it. waited this many that's years it. to do all. it. Like I, I do. I hear what you're saying, Carlos, and. I think there would have been a revolt if they didn't show Iceman. That's a check. Most sequels doing this level of reference referencing of the original, it would be over the top and ridiculous. But that's because most sequels are made within a decade of the first film. This one is made three decades later. People have been salivating, you know, like chomping at the bit for this thing. These scenes aren't just scenes that you happen to see you know, a few years ago. For a lot of people, these are things that they've seen repeatedly. Like again, every time it comes on cable. I, I got to make the time to watch Top Gun. It's that kind of movie, and you heard it in the audience. You said, like for some people, not me personally, but for some people, it is that kind of like, yes. This Did is you the- hear whenever Maverick's plane went down? Someone in the back of our theater was like, "Oh no, oh no!" <laughs> like super loud. <laughs> also, if their world, their world almost came crashing, almost down. came crashing down. If this movie had any balls whatsoever, had any, it would have killed. It would have killed. It should have. Killed him. No, I, I think it's. I think it's better to have the buddy coda where they steal the F fourteen. The discerning the, filmmaker, or like the the like filmmaker part yeah. of my brain, not the marketing part of my brain. The filmmaker <laughs> artist part of my like, brain. What a what a was deeper, like, richer story. If it's well, actually, no, but but it seemed like they were setting it up a little bit. Like there were a couple of things where I was like, they're gonna kill this motherfucker. I know it, and people are gonna be so distraught hey, that they even got you to believe that that was possible. That's kind of a feat in itself. I sure, I guess. But also, some of that is my naivete, having <laughs> having not seen the original right. and having not, you know, I should have looked around. Well, the, room the original and thought, did you know, kill Goose. I mean, so the, the, expecting a big death in this film was not a. That is one thing it did not check off yeah. from that standpoint. Right. Like it did not give us that kind of moment. But I think because the first one had set that as a potential outcome it lends itself to feeling that the stakes are that high and you could lose Maverick, you could lose Rooster. The One of these characters that they're supposedly putting up as being one that you should care about could be taken away. Yeah, I like I Miles know. Teller in Whiplash, period. Done. Mm, I've never seen that movie, but I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, he's, he's not interesting as an actor. He's not interesting as an entity. He's just like another handsome white guy and also not the most handsome white guy in this movie glenn powell is the most handsome white guy in this movie so tom cruise is the most handsome white guy in this movie disagree i can see the evil in his eyes (laughs) (laughs) it takes some take something away from me i don't know i I think he's he's contractually obligated to be the best looking white guy in the films that he's in (laughs) just like vin diesel can't lose a fight in the fast and furious franchise tom cruise has to be and you know this is this is an interesting point in tom cruise's career which i think maybe we'll get into a little bit more in the next half of the movie uh, or the next half of the podcast but this is the second time that he's worked with joseph kaczynski right yeah the first being at 2013 in oblivion which was in wildly underperforming sci-fi kind of misstep from tom cruise um and but for a guy who has never made an original film with a director more than twice. This is his fifth 
collaboration, I think. Maybe six. No, the fifth to be released with Christopher McQuarrie, I believe is the guy's name, who's directing the new Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, right. He co-wrote the film we're going to talk about in the second half. He co-wrote this film. They've done two Mission Impossible films together. They co-wrote another film. And what does it say about Tom Cruise as an actor that no director really wants to work with him more than twice? Is it the director not wanting to work with him or him not Or that he doesn't want to work with them? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. But, but, but I also think that from a film lover's point of view, we're in the decline of Tom Cruise's career. From an average casual moviegoer fan and a box office perspective, obviously it's an uptick. But he, there was this period where he tried to do more original projects that didn't work, and so now he's just going back to doing more Mission Impossible movies and more Top Gun, and I don't know, just find the whole thing very uninteresting. And I think that because of how uninteresting his film selections are at this point in his career, the only thing that's really holding on is the propaganda spread by the Church of Scientology. I'm sure there's some kind of underground nefarious network going on there to keep him in the public eye. And then the fact that he does all his own stunts and the fact that he's still like handsome at 60. Mm. But but if he didn't do all of his, his own stunts, would anybody ever talk about this guy again? Or they would just be like, oh yeah, there was another kind of Tom Cruise movie that people wanted to go see any popcorn during. You know, I don't know. I don't know. The, I th- the brand of the film that he has been putting out, Top Gun is a standalone item that's going to make more money than the average thing. The movie we talk about in the second half, you're talking about Oblivion. These are films that are more recent that aren't making, they're making some money, but not that what you expect. And I think it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, and that is that he's the sole survivor of that 80s boom when the star got the $20 million up front because it was so important. I don't think that's as important as it is now. If you're talking about Marvel movies, it is because you want Iron Man to be Iron Man and Spider-Man to be Spider-Man. But here, it's him. I think... It'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. Uh, if it's not well, just top three sequels, there's uh, there's another Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible Part One. Yeah, but I, I don't. I'm not familiar. When the trailer showed before Top Gun for the, Mission Impossible: Dawn of Reckoning or Reckoning Dawn or something yeah. like that, it uh-huh. said the Mission Impossible it's Dead Reckoning. Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Sorry, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Oh, there's two then. So at least the Dead Reckoning One. So and he's Dead stretching this next sequel into two films. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much money. It'll be interesting to see if the audience continues to follow this. Well, there I, will be I, a I huge marketing campaign for some crazy stunt he did. Yeah, where he could have died. See, I'm, I, I, I've, you know, I've turned off those Mission Impossible movies a long time ago. Well, same. Because I, but Tom Cruise discussed. doesn't the get me one. there. <laughs> but but they're still discussed because he's still doing he's doing the Halo fall. He's on sure. the side of the plane. Sure. He's scaling and they're still the building, making the you know? money. And well, they're still but making I, the money. I think that's in large part why. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean he is a star in the way that stars are stars. He is a box office draw that pulls people in. Now, when he does the smaller, um, more kind of quirky projects, that quote unquote, I mean on, on his scale, um, yeah, he has had some failures. You're right, and, I think and almost so, all failures. Eh, not not exactly. In the I last mean, fifteen years, he's he's had a few that have kind of done what they were supposed to do, but not in a lot. Well, maybe fifteen is is a little bit of a stretch, but I think. You know, Jack Reacher wasn't really, that was more an action film. But uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which we're going to talk about in the second half, I mean, that now I'm kind of leaking into what we're going to be talking about. So why don't we just talk about the beer and okay. then we can pick up this conversation. High, high fructose corn syrup of a film, enjoyable enough. A high fructose corn syrup type of beer, lots of adjuncts. On the can, straight up telling you it wants you to mm-hmm. be drinking a candy bar. 
also enjoyable or no? Um, I think it is. I mean, I think it pulls off the flavor that it's going yeah. for. I definitely get Snickers vibes yeah. from it. I enjoyed I enjoyed that beer a lot. I, I I'm not such a I'm a fan of the weird. So an oatmeal stout, I'm going to try that just because it's a little different than what you say, stout, right? So mm-hmm. you got to use oats in the, the malt bill and when you might nor- not normally. I love a good gimmick if they pull it off. They're, they're telling you exactly with tongue in cheek that they're not telling you. Right. King size. Uh, all of the ingredients of a Snicker bar. We're not, ne- we're not legally allowed to say Snicker bar, right. but that's exactly what we're doing. And I think that I, I, I thought it was enjoyable and I, don't think we've done backwoods before and i would definitely want to see a little bit more from them this this was really really enjoyable it went down fast i i also enjoyed it they were fun size pours they were fun size pours i wish i had a king size uh pour of it if we're being quite honest but yeah well we're gonna stick with the king in the second half and we're gonna see his film edge of tomorrow as we've already indicated the king king, uh tc right uh when we're back All right, folks, we're back with probably not the most appropriate pairing that we could have had, uh, given some of the other <laughs> options that we found out about. Well, you already ago. indicated, yeah, right? That uh, the, there was this other film that he did with the very same director. Oblivion, uh, yeah. yeah. Would have made more sense, maybe. Also, as as I was watching Top Gun, I thought um, that we could, Val would have, we could have done Val, yeah. the documentary. Well, that's true. That's true. That that could have been, and and I had seen that. I haven't seen it yet. I really want to though. It's worth checking out. Maybe we'll review it someday. Anyhow, maybe, maybe first not. we have to get a beer going before yeah. we discuss my failures and pitfalls as a podcast programming uh, producer. Long list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> long list. <laughs> well, so for the second half, um, n- not a great tie-in for the film necessarily, other than maybe we did reference uh, that th- this film that we're going to be doing is very video game like, and uh, we could. Twist this the name of this beer, Doom Forge, into being related to uh, the Doom video game franchise that uh, very much defined video games in the what two thousands? I guess was that when it's heyday nineties? Nineties, nineties, yeah, like ninety six. Yeah, all right. Well, but um, the, the graphics the film, were not good. The film we're talking about here is uh, Edge of Tomorrow, right? And the beer that we're going to have is Doom Forge, and this is from Jester King. We love Jester King. Uh, we've had them several times on on the show before we are drinking this one this week it is an imperial coffee stout it is ten and a half percent it is canned um what else am i gonna say i guess i'm just gonna pour it please yeah 93 is when the first doom came out mm-hmm. all right For well mdos oh wow yeah have we had a stout from Jester King? I think we did. We had a porter. The, had no, the, the black metal. And we, we also we had, had black a metal and we had the, uh, is it Patterson Porter? Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds right. Called. Yeah. Yeah, and we did have that black metal. Mm. All right. So they're doing their farmhouse thing with the stout. Yeah. Yeah. Are they you, doing it with this one? No, no, I'm sorry. This but, is flat out stout. Th- this is definitely with some yeast that is not their house cult- culture yeast. Okay. I mean, take a sip. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. Yeah, they they've gotten more recently open Ooh, to that's interesting. Uh, doing things with more um, 
conventional yeast, I guess we we would say. Um, they yeah. use, they do a hazy. Um, They've done a couple, haven't they? Yeah, that that doesn't uh, necessarily use their their house culture, and then I think this and some other things. So, um, yeah, a little different from them than what we normally have. Right. Yeah. All right. So as we referenced in the second half, or the be- fuck the end of the first half, what we're going to be doing in the second half is Edge of Tomorrow. This is a 2014 film directed by Doug Lyman and uh, written by Christopher McQuarrie, Jez Butterworth. John Henry Butterworth, and it is based on the Hiroshi Sakurazaka novel titled All You Need Is Killed. Uh, it stars Tom Cruise next to Emily Blunt uh, with a uh, very colorful cast of supporting characters such as Bill Paxton, Brendan Gleeson, who you might know as Hagrid from the Harry Potter franchise, uh, and then, you know, several others. I know a Taylor being another notable one. Um, and the synopsis basically is that a, um, an officer in the American military, a PR officer, he's a PR guy. So it's uh, another military film. Yeah. gets thrust onto the front lines despite having little to no combat experience, um, is killed very quickly only to realize that the, that he wakes up at the beginning of the day in which he died. And, so we have a very Groundhog Day scenario here mm-hmm. where he keeps reliving this day over and over and over again and keeps dying in various and sundry horrific ways until... Th- who, fi- he, who he's battling is kind of important as well. Yeah, but, but until he finds um, someone who may have some answers for him, who is Emily Blunt, who is the Angel of Verdun, who is... Uh, this woman named Rita, who full metal bitch, full metal bitch, who led a successful attack on the mimics. So the mimics are this alien race that have invaded Earth, and they have uh, conquered the majority of Europe. And where we arrive in the story is at a basic kind of last stand. We had a victory. Well, it's like an attempt at... Well, they feel that the tide is turning because they have these mechanical suits now. They feel the tide is turning, but I feel like... I don't know. To me, I read it as there being this underpinning of like, we had a victory. We have these suits. If we are going to win this war, it's going to be now. Right. We have to keep pushing forward. Otherwise... Agreed. They're going to keep Agreed. spreading, and but we're I think toast. they're doing it. The the military here, the American in coordination with the British military, are are doing it with the with the sense that they can make this. T- they've they've turned the tide. They can make this work. They need to now it's also a go critical pl- point. push back the villains. It's also a critical point in the mimics like takeover of Europe. They're about to get into London. Like we need to stop before they get into another metropolitan area. Large yeah, metropolitan they're about area. to expand outside of just mainland Europe. Right. Uh, and yeah, so the, so you know we follow Tom Cruise. Uh, Who's William Cage? I believe is William his first name. Um, that's a good, Cage is yes, it is. They always um, call him Cage. Call him Cage. Yeah. Um, who is trying to figure out this whole time loop thing, and is trying to develop the skill set to be able to shift the outcome of this particular day in the favor of the humans. Because when he wakes up the first time and realizes what has happened, he just tries to explain it to people and nobody believes him, obviously. Why would you? That would be insane. Right. Um, and so he realizes that, you know, he's going to have to do more than just present people with the information to be able to turn the tide and help the humans win. Because uh, 
you know, the whole first sequence before he dies for the first time. I mean, it's a very Beach of Normandy invasion type yeah. of thing where they're just massacred by these mimics. Because Everybody the mimics dies. know they're coming. They like, know they, they're they, coming. The, they're walking the into a trap. The think that they um, have a chance that they're coming on to European soil and they're going to be able to push them back. But the mimics already know they're coming and, they, and they're there waiting for them. Yeah. Uh, well, which, and which gets into the difference with Groundhog Day. We never know why Bill Murray's going through that. We right. know what no. gets him out of it, finding love with Andy McDowell. Yeah. But there is a reason given for what's happening here. He's this. connected to the mimics. When, that's when, true, yeah. When you get the blood of a specific type of alien that's called... Um, when you kill an alpha... An alpha. It, it, like, it bled on him, and it get, and it passed this ability to control time onto him. Well, the, which, this, this tetheredness to the Omega, which is like the, which, the Omega, which has is the this, ability to control time. If we right, kill the Omega, right, that we can kill everybody yeah. and, and keep them cycling until the outcome is the way they want in their it favor, to be. Yeah. And when he, when he finally does connect with Emily Blunt, Emily Blunt quickly realizes that what had happened to her is now is now to happening to Tom Cruise, and she lost her ability to stay tethered to the Omega and keep reliving this day until she got it right because she Could was injured on the battlefield, didn't die. Yeah. Had had a blood transfusion and got and all the time travel blood out of her. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got okay. All, got so there's the rules blood. here. So the, yeah, so there's a lot going on in this movie, which makes sense as to why maybe it wasn't the box office success that they were expecting it to be. So that's a, so that's one of the reasons why I pitched this film as the pairing is because it's an original concept. It's not a legacy sequel. It's not part of a franchise. It gives it's us an ex- a chance to explore a, Tom Cruise, a, adapted from a novel. It's a Tom Cruise led flick mm-hmm. that underperformed significantly from what it was expected yeah. to do. I mean, the project the box office projections in the months and weeks leading up to this went from like 100 million opening weekend, 50 million opening weekend, 20 million opening weekend. At one point the projection for the opening weekend gross on this film was as low as 5 to 6 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like there was absolutely no buzz around it. They hadn't figured out that they needed to market Tom Cruise is doing all of his own stunts yet. Uh and, and I was glad that you did it because I believe that in the time since this film came out and kind of underperformed at the box office that it has on DVD probably at the time and now streaming that, that people have found this movie and really, really like it. I have heard and, and you need to see this edge of tomorrow. If even if you ignored it when it first came out many times. Yes. And it was, and it was received well critically at the time. Yeah. Criti- you know, critics liked it much like what we talked about with men. Critics loved the movie. Audiences didn't really respond to it or even bother to go see it. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because it did like it. I, read the list of writers. There were even more people that at some point worked on this script until Christopher McQuarrie finally came in at the end and Tom Cruiseified it in a way that, you know, the star could really get on board with the tone and what they were going for. Um, it has had some influence in, uh, it's a, it made, well, first it made 27 and some change million dollars on home video, which is a substantial amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's currently being developed into a series. That's what I've heard on the HBO most Max. Recent. There was for years a sequel, maybe. It's- yes, and last year Emily Blunt was on Howard Stern talking about the possibility of a sequel, and her number one reason for why it most likely will never happen is just the cost of this movie. Yeah. This movie costs a ton of money. It looks expensive. Uh, and, and because and, Bill, pull, uh, Bill, 
Paxton. Paxton has passed away. There's no reason to have a sequel if Bill Paxton's <laughs> yeah. around. Respect he, he, to Bill Paxton. Hell he, he yeah, I was so Paxton. happy to see him in a big... At the beginning of the film. Yeah. I was happy First to see him in a big really, sci-fi role again. I really was. And he delivers that performance. This, uh, it's it's impressive to watch him give sure. the exact same performance over and over. He does it so well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and he has that character locked in. But also, another interesting like part of this film's legacy is that the IDF recently announced its Edge of Tomorrow initiative. That's uh, the Israeli military. Oh, okay. Uh, where they, they are... Mechanical suits? Not mechanical suits, but like time loops, Te- time loops, aliens. Time really, loops. they are seeking time loop. <laughs> no, they're you know technology integrating technology with their like frontline. Oh, okay. You know okay. combatants and things like that. But they they literally called it Edge of Tomorrow is like the name of the fucking thing. I hadn't heard doing, that. That's crazy. crazy. If you Google Edge of Tomorrow, you'll find a lot of articles about the idea. Uh, wow. And they're like from like days ago, like hmm. five, six days ago, hmm. which is interesting. They must have known um, we were going to be talking they, about of it. Of course today. they did. Everyone knows. Uh, <laughs> they're after hours. The movies on they're the after hours listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they're not. I don't, I don't want their money. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, just a, just a really interesting film that has had a really weird life cycle. You know what I mean? Uh, and a, so a little we, bit of a disappointment initially, but has turned into something with enough respect and and ha- ultimately earned enough money to be profitable that is now a on on the verge of it seems becoming more of a franchise potentially with with the series that maybe yeah although although the series is part of the litigation between warner brothers and village roadshow pictures that was prompted by the matrix resurrections uh, box office underperforming um so that's being worked out in the courts right now as well um so what'd you guys think of the movie I, i had never seen it before I realized that I'm a sucker for a time loop movie mm-hmm. <laughs> because I love. Uh, uh, there are only a few. Well, yeah, I like Groundhog Day. Um, Palm Springs, obviously. Love Palm Springs, and I liked this movie. I there were a couple. Had you had you not seen it before watching it? Never this? seen it. Before, oh, okay, okay. Which is which is part so of, I was the only one who had seen this thing the the first time around. I guess so. Okay. Yeah, but and and so that was part of why I wanted to do it was because um, it's I had heard of this like failure actually it's really good like don't sleep on you know i had just same way joe had i had heard about it and so i'd wanted to see it um but i thought i mean there were a few moments in it where you know like noah taylor's character at one point says something to the effect of like their only weakness is humanity and i was like oh fuck you you know Mm. and then of course when uh cage and rita kiss at the end i was like oh fuck you like that was stupid yeah Uh, but for the most part, I thought it was yeah, enjoyable. I thought the I know action some people sequences, get thrown off by that. I, it that's given the audience what they I was might say. But that's why I don't like it. And okay. it doesn't feel that forced to me either just because, you know. They've been through a traumatic Some of the conversations together. they've had, and I know that she's restarting every time, but he obviously She's known him isn't. a day. And she initiates the kiss. But then she's been through the experience before herself, and so that's I'm true. sure can put herself into that, like, oh, he's lived this for mm-hmm. a year now. You know what I mean? Well, she, many... she had her own Rita in her experience, someone right. who's mentioned, whose name I don't remember, but Tom Cruise mentions this name. Right. And she gets really upset about it and yeah. talks about how she watched him die a thousand times yeah like hundreds of times or whatever yeah. so yeah, I, I don't mind a time loop movie and you're right david there's only a handful i and i don't i know of the three of us i believe carlos that you're the largest fan of palm springs yeah it's but a, palm amazing. springs imagine that pitch it's like groundhog day but you know 
And imagine well, we're going to tell you like why it's happening tomorrow, but much smaller budget. Right, so right. <laughs> imagine, right, exactly. Imagine this pitch though. It's like Groundhog Day with aliens. You know, it's like Groundhog Day with Tom Cruise and big it's, fucking suits. It's War Groundhog Day. <laughs> sure, and the suits are straight out of something. Alien. I don't know. Well, Starship uh, Troopers. Did, I, I don't did know. this come out before or after Pacific Rim? Around the same time. I, I mean, think it's it around right the around, same time because there's I mean, also Pacific Rim's there was a bigger another scale, film, but, right? Um, Aliens, uh, Iron she Man. uses the... Well, sure, before, Iron Man is a version of that, for well, sure. But, yeah. like, the the villain in the first Iron Man, Jeff Bridges, is pretty parallel to the suits. But I think, I think, I think a lot of credit should be given to this movie for building functional suits. Like, they wore those things, you know? They, in between takes, they had to have the suits suspended by a wire to, like, take some of the stress off their bodies because these suits weigh... Oh, I didn't realize any- that. I assume I was watching a bunch of CGI. Nope. They were anywhere between 85 to 130 pound suits that they made um, that the characters and the actors actually wore and maneuvered in and all... and. In, there was an interview where Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt were asked about it, and Emily Blunt said something about how just how like how it was really important to them that the suits be real, that they wear them during the action sequences because it informs so much about the world and how those people would actually move in those suits and how that would like affect the combat and the choreography and things like that. So, if if there's one thing I'll give Tom Cruise, it's that. He's a practical man, and I love practical effects. And as long as there's someone out there championing, like actually making shit and like shooting it, like I can, I can get behind that, you know, because I think the suits look cool. Like, there's a lot about this movie that looks cool. The the alien fighting and all is fine and dandy. Uh, It's a human relationship to me that is the most enjoyable. Tom Cruise and his charisma that he has, whether you like it or not, and how he's figuring out the time loop. And, and, and he's as, a movie star. Let's, as let's he, not words. As uh, d- days goes by, he's got to remove himself from the platoon to get to Emily Blunt after he finds out where she's going, where she's training. He kills so himself a couple times. He kills himself accident. a couple times as he knows he's he has to roll her. underneath a truck <laughs> that, and use the cover sick. of the truck to hide his escape. So that fails a few times, it but does, then he gets. But, but let's pause on that real quick because for such a small moment, it's a, it's really one of my favorite sequences when he and he's first trying that for the first time. Yeah, because it's something that, it's something you a situation you could imagine being in, right? Of yeah. having well, to and do it's that, part of that. Video it's more game grounded element in the know? film where there's this like very particular little like you know obstacle you need to overcome. Yeah. You need to time it just right. Hit A right oh, now. Yeah. And, then, and, you know, okay, Count the trick down. worked. Great. But if you do it just a second too early or mm-hmm. a second too late, you're going to get crushed by the on, truck. On day one, continue. he's got no respect for his uh, from his platoon that he's been forced to join. J-Squad. And he knows that he has to J-Squad? get them to follow him in the mm-hmm. battle over the course of the 12 hours or whatever it is. So mining them for details so that he can prove himself to be from the future past however you want to look at it yeah i enjoyed that aspect of it very very much there's a mad scientist character that you have in these kind of films often that knows everything about everything but isn't believed about anything so they emily blunt knows him they get to introduce to tom cruise and then you know 
but once it starts getting into the omega and the alpha and the, the I, I, I lose a lot of interest. It's all just science fiction mumbo jumbo to thought get it, you to some kind of spectacular I actually, end. I thought it actually did a pretty good job of balancing all that where it didn't bog down in the minutia too much. It would kind of set up like, Because well, okay, there's three things. Well, this is the next thing that needs to happen. Well, three there's, things. There's grunts, the alpha, and the omega, and that's it. Right. It's not like so overly complicated well, that's true. where that's there's true. like they, ranks and like all this stuff. And right. Especially with as kind of difficult to wrap your head around as the actual creatures are because they're like the way they move and like right. the, they're their their anatomical like structure <laughs> they're, is difficult they're like, to uh, you know like sand squids or something except for the it, alphas which have like distinct faces or right, heads or right. a more like uh, yeah I don't ha- I can't and, compare know, yeah uh, but right. the, we see more of the mimics the grunts than anything yeah. else and those are kind of like what's going on here right. and the action is so like it's so frantic and, oh yeah you know, yeah um, it, and you know, looking into like some of the people involved in this movie, Doug Lyman is a name that I recognize. But if you said Doug Lyman, I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, he did this, this, and this. But that Firstborn movie is like that, like the way the camera moves with him and uh, right. how intense some of those like fight and chase sequences are in that movie. Like you can see that he has the specific way that he likes to move the camera to bring the audience into the pace of what's happening you know yeah he he's got he's he does have a tendency for those kind of like very uh you know accelerated pace kind of films now i mean th- it's funny that you because you love swingers much more than i do and, love swingers. and that's him i mean that, that's... I, but see i see that as a john favreau movie even though i know he didn't direct it <laughs> right right but when i think of swingers i think of favreau right and well, I, know, I know he did that and he did another one go uh, a couple years later uh, that that ha- that has the frenetic pace of of this kind of film but in a very different kind of context mm-hmm. um Definitely worth checking out, but you're right, The Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He, he eventually got into doing a lot more action. Mr. and, Miss, and Mrs. Smith was the one I was yeah, thinking and, of. Yeah, and he worked with Cruz uh, twice with Edge of Tomorrow and then American Made, which I never saw that one. That was the... Which, oh, Jumper was the one I was really surprised about, yeah. that piece of crap movie. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you never saw American Made because in the last 15 years... Tom Cruise hasn't done a good movie that wasn't a sequel. I mean, like, the last thing that he did... That was an original, or not, I guess it wasn't even original, but that wasn't part of a franchise that Cruz had already appeared in was War of the Worlds in 2005. Yeah. And I don't think that's a good movie. I would say the last good movie he did that wasn't a sequel was Collateral in 2004. Yeah. But people... A lot of people like War of the World, so I'll give them credit. Give them well, credit I, mean, I, I will give them Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, that's. I think that this is a very good no, original like, concept film I've, that he was part of in the early twenty ten, you know, twenty fourteen. A movie that I couldn't agree, have been yeah. made without him in it because of the budget of the because of the budget of the thing. Yeah, I guess. I guess what I was getting at was a good movie that audiences also respond responded mm. to. And also, because there was a shift this around this. Sorry, this movie's there, good. Yeah. There was a shift around this time of. We can't afford these tent pole, hopeful, hopeful tent pole films. We can't afford them anymore as studios. We can't take hundred and risks when they're not sure things. Yeah, that are risks built on into new a, property. I yeah. mean, when when whatever the sequel would would have come out at the time that this came out of the big thing that made all of the money that year is performing for us financially. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's a tough thing to ask a studio to spend. Two to three hundred million dollars on 
you know, and Tom Cruise is the only thing that's going to get you in that theater. I mean, outside of oh, cool, more more aliens doing different alien stuff. Now, now I think more so than then, Emily Blunt would. Have. Well, I, I think people found this movie by going backward on Emily Blunt. She well, emerged, and let me go. What, what did she do before? And oh, a Tom well, she, Cruise yeah, movie. Yeah, she okay. was in Devil Wears Prada, um, but hadn't come out in a big way, action movie wise. Right. I don't think she'd had a big yeah, pre-Sicario. I was going to say Sicario was right after this, I think. Yeah. It, yeah but it, but even around that the same is a time, but it's a, a definitely film. a different yeah. kind of action, more of a like right. Gritty I, I put this I would put this more on par with uh Quiet Place for her in terms yeah. of her filmography, even though that's more horror than it is jungle fiction. Cruise. It has the alien mm, element much smaller the, budget. Yeah. Much smaller budget, yeah. But jungle she, there's a lot of physicality in Jungle Cruise, I man. Seen it. Um, I've seen it more than once. I hate to say, uh, <laughs> you don't. You, you don't say. You hate it. to this, say. You love to this say. Is, no, this I, is a sugar-coated <laughs> episode of beer in a movie. After <laughs> after having seen the film, I do hate to say. Favorite Tom Cruise movie ever? Minority Report. I don't know. That that's a tough one on the spot. I mean, maybe Magnolia. Magnolia is my answer. But it's not. I like a, Born no, on the Fourth of July no, very much. No, but he's you in can't it. I mean, Magnolia. I mean, like if I'm gonna, okay, then it's, it's not, more of a Magnolia is more of a Tom Cruise movie than it is a Jason Robards well, or Juliet Moore movie. Will you allow me to count Collateral? Yeah. Okay. Because well, because well, Tom Cruise isn't the star. Paul Thomas Anderson is the star of Magnolia. In a Tom sense, Cruise but is Frank Mackey is, is the biggest thing in that movie. He, he's the holdout in your memory, as far as well, that just there's that so... and dogs eating pills off of the floor. Well, the thing, but the thing with Magnolia is that it's such a sprawling film, and there's so much happening going Wide on. There isn't one central figure to be able to say this is a this person movie, right? Whereas, like, collateral. Okay, I'll is... take it off my list, and I'll go with Born on the Fourth of July, a movie I like very much. Okay, yeah, and I'll go with. Born on the Fourth of July, where they the Born part of the Born series, where they merged Crosses it with over. yeah, it was the huge Oliver really Stoneverse, and it was that was huge, actually pretty wonderful. The Daniels did it. It was a, it was a good <laughs> good. You guys must have missed that. I one. Missed there was that a time one. loop involved. Yeah. I missed that one. Uh, <laughs> time loop and multiverse in the same film. It's going to happen. You're born folks. in a different universe each time. And, and we're and, about to see and it. And while yeah. I believe that the two central love figures don't love one another, I, I, I like Jerry Maguire more than I think anybody else in this room. Yeah, it's a garbage movie. I'd have you know to rewatch it to Crow. make my pronouncement on it. But even seeing it the first time around, I felt like it was a, a little bit of a. A disappointment. I mean, not disappointment, but anyway, we'll, we'll get there someday, sure. maybe if we if we decide to go down that path. Although well, we already did our Cameron Crow episode, it, it may never happen at this point. Um, what what did happen today, though, was was us drinking some Jester King alongside our discussion of Edge of Tomorrow, Doomforge Imperial Coffee Stout without the farmhouse, uh, you know, sort of mixed culture going on here what, what do we think is this is this a good direction for jester king to have uh allowed to to develop in there i think it's a necessary direction well if if by good direction do you mean them, make, a, them making are you good, glad they're making this is is them making great beer a good direction to go yeah in, David? That, well I, that's mm, let me think i don't know well it's yes, get, getting of off course brand. getting off brand just well, we talked, we talked okay, about but this it's but, so good, but it was a change we but talked they did about this. for many years kind of define mm-hmm. themselves through that house culture mm-hmm. and applying that to everything and at a certain point that did it lost the luster let's be frank i mean 
it it still brings people in. It's still part of what they do, when but we it had does that not garden, have the same level of uh, fervor. When we had that it. garden path two or three episodes yeah, ago, yeah. we talked about these. Let's give props to these regional regional breweries that stay with those local yeasts and ingredients. And Jester King, you get props for that. But if you are a business that does the same thing again and again and again, you really have to rely on your market wanting the same thing again and again and again. So I think that those kinds of breweries will find themselves, especially as I don't buy any stories about craft beer on its way out or, you know, whatever. Even though, I mean, the COVID hurt the craft beer and industry as it did many, many industries. But you've got to diversify your product, I think, to stay relevant. And so therefore, Jester King has to do something like this. Mm. And if they're going to do it like this, I'll buy it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's This was delicious. It took me a few sips to get into. Yeah. And I don't know why. Because it's not a typical well, it was, imperial coffee stout. We've had a hundred of them on the show. Well, you know what I mean? It's an oatmeal stout, I think. It's an imperial coffee stout. Oh, I thought it was an oatmeal No, that was the stout. first beer we had. The king size oh, was the oatmeal stout. Yeah. Um, probably because it was so different from the first one. We went from a very sweet adjunct heavy to a, I mean, coffee's an adjunct, but it's a more traditional mm-hmm. uh, complementing flavor You see it in imperial stout. stouts often. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, but there is a, there's as a, old as time. <laughs> But there's what it is. No, it's, I just like that reference. <laughs> uh, if you'd sung it, I would have even laughed harder. It, uh, it is uh, too congested right now. There's a wang <laughs> to it though that I can't. Uh, that I want to just call like j- a jester king. <sighs> That's interesting because I feel like there's more of a chung. <laughs> you don't know what a wang is. I can't help you. <laughs> but do y'all, do y'all feel, we've had, like I said, we've had many imperial coffee stouts on the show. There's something we've just different about stouts, this. Yeah. What 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 is it? Am I? I think it's I think it's just there's a lot of bitter coffee. Well, there's a lot of alcohol. What, what is the like ABV? A, I don't 10. know. Ten point five. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a lot, but I, I but I feel like you can kind of taste it a little bit. Maybe on the finish. I mean, it's got a gra- it's got a great body to it. It, it sticks does. around. It's you know like I got grounds. I, my, in mine. my my glass is empty, and yet I cannot possibly get it free of of the uh, remainder. I mean, it's stuck. There, yeah. there there is some that's just sticking to the sides of the glass. Um, I, you know, I, I think it just kind of nails the the imperial coffee stout. I I, I kind of hear what you're saying, Joe. That that it, there's something standout about it. I'm I'm not complaining. I, I, to me, it's unique. Are you sure, it's it's unique in a good way. But I don't. It's got I'm, a wang, though. It's got a wang, and it, and the, my vocabulary is evading me as far as being able to accurately describe on a beer podcast what I'm talking about. I'd like to say that it's a combination of the zings and the zangs and the other words that beer people the use. Zips and zaps. I can't, I can't. I can't do that with this. So you, you, you're you're going to be quiet. Doctor Seuss. Of I liked reviews, it very much. I liked it very much, and it took me two sips to get there. And I think you're right, Carlos. That had to do with that heavy sugar uh on the first half of the show yeah it was it was quite a pivot that we made yeah. uh, just like it was quite a pivot that we made from a legacy sequel to a more original higher concept sci-fi movie but you know what that's what we do here we do these kinds of things um and then you know one of the great things about this podcast which before i get into the whole spiel which if you've listened to the show you already know what it's going to be but I say I say every week that one of the greatest things about this podcast is that the conversation continues after the episode has concluded. And uh, I feel like no 
episode, no week has been more evidence of this than this last week. How do you figure? There was a vibrant discussion of men. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, in the after hours. No, with on the Discord. Yeah, on the oh, Discord. I'm sorry. With, with the community. Sorry, I No, up. you guys are both on your phones. It's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm not sorry, doing I'm anything over here. Yeah, we're so used to you doing the spiel. That's when David and I get on our phones. Uh, the Discord, I thought, was very pleasant this week. Yeah, men. A lot of discussion about men. and I and one but, of, but I find that about men in general, like the, the movie. Sure. The, the uh, people are discussing this in very sides of the spectrum way. Yeah, but I but I think that... I think it was particularly lively this week, not just because it's a film that has so much to talk about, because it's a film that you can come at from so many different perspectives. And it's a film that when we finished the episode, we weren't even done talking about yet, you know? And so even though, I mean, I do say it every week and I do mean it every week, but this last week, if you're, if you're not on the discord, you missed out on, on, on quite a bit this last week because it was, it was, uh, there was a lot happening in the discord, but of course, I'll get to where you can find that in a second, but you can find us on all of your favorite social media channels, Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and a Movie TX, Beer and a Movie Podcast.com is where you can find all the good stuff. You can find these curated collections of, uh, of episodes. You can find the link to the Discord. You can find the link to our Patreon, which is Patreon.com slash Beer and a Movie Podcast. You can find a link to our merch, which is tpublic.com slash user slash Beer and a Movie. Uh, all of those things are there. Do not sleep on any of them. It's a it's a great time over on the Discord. We're having a lot of interesting conversations. Memes are being shared. Film discourse is being had. I love it um, when people drop the beer that they're drinking. I do from like from all that. over the country. I also, I'm always sad when they drop it. I mean, like I, I see people I occasionally in drop the bar it in my and mailbox. I'm like, dude, you get, go slower, walk more carefully. But, uh, you know, uh, I also love it whenever Anthony pops in the Discord and tells me that I descri- I describe depression well <laughs> for a psychologist to tell me that. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I'm kind of fucked. You're up. in touch with you. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. If, David is right. That's not the truth. If if you're listening to this on apple Podcasts, uh please rate me and subscribe it really helps us to manipulate the algorithm to get the podcast in front of more people which you know is something that we're always trying to do uh always trying to share our love of beer and movies with other beer and movie lovers and um this has been another high g episode of Mm -hmm. beer and a movie until next time talk to me goose (laughs) 